Welcome to season four of Overcoming Working Mum Burnout. This podcast is all about preventing burnout in the workplace by changing the systems that impact how mums show up at work. And sometimes those systems are part of our social infrastructure outside of work. In the first three seasons of the podcast, I interviewed researchers, DEI and HR experts, coaches and mental health experts. We talked a lot about individual change because this is what we think is within our control. But if we stop there, the collective change that we need will not happen. Only 13% of male senior managers spend time in caregiving compared to 52% of female senior managers. This season, I'm therefore interviewing dads. Unless dads are more active participants in the home and more supportive leaders at work, mums will continue to struggle burn out and miss out on leadership opportunities. Men have to make room for women to lead at work and women have to make room for men to lead in the home. We can't make change alone. So I want to learn more about how we can support men to become active participants in the home and role models for caregiving leaders at work. This week, I'm learning from Derek Reynolds, who has three children and works in the foster care system. He's the founder of Hug a Dad Foundation, supporting dads to play active roles in their children's lives and the community at large. Derek talks about the importance of positive male role models for young black men. He understands that we need individual change, family change, community change, and legal change to support stronger families and healthy communities. Derek is so busy after several cancellations we had to do this interview on a Sunday morning from his apartment balcony. So you may hear some background noise. Also, you may notice that I had very little to add to this interview. My experiences as an educated white cisgendered woman had provided me with so little insight into Derek's world. But as I prepared this episode, I realized we had both come to the same conclusion we need individual change, family change, community change, and societal change to support stronger families and healthy communities, which I also believe will lead to greater equality in the home and at work, preventing burnout. I hope you can learn as much from this conversation as I did. Okay, so my name is Derek Reynolds. I'm 34. I live in Wichita, Kansas. I'm originally from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I came to the Midwest to work on the railroads. The railroad thing didn't work out. Once I got diagnosed with congestive heart failure, I had to reinvent myself, basically. And that's what I did. I have three children. My youngest two is with my wife, and my oldest son is from a previous relationship. And that brings about many troubles that people don't even realize can happen. When you have a split family, that's why I try to advocate for people to have kids with somebody that they're going to stay with and not just jump around. And my role is I am a family support worker for St. Francis Ministries. I work with the foster care system. I do my best to help out people as best as I can. I'm the founder of the Hug a Dad Foundation. We try to change the perspective of fatherhood. We try to add positivity to the community. We try to put the males in the community, in the schools. We believe that 
positive male influence in the neighborhood, along with opportunity, such as jobs and trades and things like that. I believe that we can change the landscape of our communities. That's what the Hug a Dad Foundation is about. I'm also a part of Dad's Care, too. I am just a dad as far as that organization. My mentor is the founder of that organization. And the reason why I consider myself as just a dad and that organization is because I need the assistance too. I need the help as well. I have my foundation and I help other people, but I've been needing help along the way as just as much as I've been helping other people. That's fantastic. Thanks so much for that introduction. And that's a lot. You've clearly got a lot going on in your life. And we have really struggled to get this interview together. And I'm so glad that you persisted and that we're making this happen. It's so important to hear your voice. So tell me a little bit more then about how you are balancing all these roles and whether you think you're doing that or not, like it's okay to say, no, I'm failing at all of them. Tell me what it takes to do what you're trying to do and what the challenges are. When you ask me, how am I balancing all these roles? It's a very simple answer. And the answer is that I'm not, I'm not doing a good job at it. I work in the foster care system and during the school year, it's very difficult because you have parents that work and you have kids in school. And part of my job is to schedule and oversee visits. So if kids are in school and parents are at work all day, visitation is not going to be until the end of the day. So a lot of times visits don't start until four five o'clock, six o'clock. Now, obviously that's not a good mix for my family. So obviously that takes a lot of time up for me because most of the time I can't get stuff done until at the end of the day. But then I'm still in the office in the morning because there's still paperwork that needs to be done. You still got to keep up appearances as far as being at work. So it's very difficult. Before I started that, I would just talk to kids. Like I would go to a violence impact center that a woman that I respect has. She lost her son due to gun violence and she started her own organization. And she has kids there every day and she talks to them about stuff. So I would just start dropping in and I would just talk to them for a little while. And then after a while, it went from, hey guys, we have somebody here to talk to us about what's going on. Can you all pay attention? It went from that to, oh, hey, Mr. Reynolds, what's going on, Mr. Reynolds? I just walk in as casual. I'm just, you know, regular person that's coming in to hang with everybody else. And that's the way I like it. I want people to familiarize themselves with me. The big introduction is cool, but I like to get to a place where there's no need for an introduction. I just walk in, shake people's hands and start talking. I spent about a month on a panel, diversity inclusion panel for the police department in my city. And the reason why I wanted to do this interview so bad is because the fact that I kept having to cancel showed me more and more just how busy I am, especially for something that I wanted to do. It's very difficult to wear all these hats. And then there's things I want to do with my organization. I need time to sit down and type things out, spell things out. I'm trying to put together this plan for group homes. And it's difficult for me to find the time to sit down and go through that when I got all this paperwork for my job to do. And then I got my kids and then I got my wife and then I got my own personal time that where I just don't want to do nothing. I don't want to talk to nobody. I just want to do whatever I want to do. And that's very rare that I find the time for that. And so it's just one thing on top of another. And I forget a lot of things. I make mistakes. You know, I forget to call people. I forget to call my parents, my grandmother, family back home in Philadelphia. 
I'll tell them I'm going to call them and I don't ever get to call them because I'm out running around at night trying to do house calls and picking up kids for visits and checking in on visits and starting visits, ending visits, filling out paperwork. It's just, it's never ending. Oh yeah, so I forgot another thing. I'm going to school for social work. I got to find a time to do school. The last thing I want to do after working till 8.30 is come home and do school work. So now I got to try and find a way to find time to fit that in. Okay, so morning, so I need to try to wake up a few hours early in the morning. But that's not easy to do. But I feel like everything that I went through so far has helped me out. I've been able to use it for some kind of advantage. So if I can figure this out, then I'll be able to use it to my advantage. Great. And it is really difficult when your schedule is not in your own hands when you're doing this type of job where things can change last minute and you have to fit in with everybody else's needs. But I'm glad you're mentioning you need time for yourself that you need to take in there. And you recognize all these pieces that you have to try and give time to. And time is such a scarce resource. Ultimately, it's such a challenge. So what are some of the things you're doing to enable yourself to keep going in this particularly busy time? Is it that the purpose that you have, does that help you? Or what are the, some of the things you're using to help yourself? Purpose that I have, the person that I want to be, the person I want to become, the people that I want to help, the things that I would like to see happen in my community and other communities. There's so many things that I see that I feel like need to be done. And there's so many things that I feel like need to be said that nobody else is saying. Not that other people are lacking, but it's just things that are my ideas that I feel like I want to share. So I wrestle with myself with that a lot. And my really frustrated days, I want to give up. I want to quit. And then I'll turn on the TV or I'll watch something on my phone and I'll start yelling at the screen. No, that's stupid. You need to do this. And then that's when I walk right back into it. So I know that I'm doing what my purpose is. And that's the thing about the railroad. I used to make twice as much money hourly on the railroad. There would be times where I would just be like, what am I doing with my life? I really felt like I was wasting my life. Even though I was working every day, making money, taking care of myself, making more money than I make now. I wonder when I get older and I look back, what will I be looking back at? I felt miserable. I felt depressed. And just like you said, my purpose. It's not that I'm intelligent or I'm smart. It's just that I feel like this is my purpose. That's why I try so hard for it. And that's why I try so hard for this interview, because I want to be able to tell fathers and people like the purpose of dads, what are dads purpose? What are we here for? This is what we're here for. We're here to teach. We're here to feel. We're here to love and console and protect and all these different things. And I want to show people that we get busy, too. We are busy. We have busy schedules because I know plenty of dads that are active. And I want other people to start saying that I know plenty of dads that are active. So that's my purpose. And thank you for that. Because again, that's what I'm trying to show here too, is that there are dads out there who want to contribute. And so hopefully your inspiration to them as well. There are dads who want to help. So let's not always assume that they're not going to step up and that we also have to make room to help dads step up. 
So tell me some of the things that you've learned as like a community organizer that you think would help other dads if they're thinking about doing community organizing and what other supports would make your life easier? I think community organizing is important. I want to be able to show my sons and my daughters to be givers, to give, don't be a taker. And when you give, don't look for anything in return. I don't want to be negative. I want to be positive. When I pass away, if there is like some big heavenly gates that you have to walk to and, you know, show your record of life, what you've done. I don't want my highlight reel to be me doing negative stuff, following after other people. I want minds to be here, be positive, even when others are negative. I just want to show love. I just want to show respect and love to people. Do you think, Derek, that your diagnosis of congestive heart failure, did that inspire some of this change that that you got a sense that time became more important or? The funny part about it is, so, you know, as far back as I can remember, I've always been a type of person where, you know, if I can help you, I will help you. From going back to elementary school, like... I remember one time I used to go to this extracurricular activities program. It was called Kids Peace. It was to keep kids off the streets and stuff. I used to go there and they gave me an award one time for uh, always being willing to help other kids spell stuff. I've always been a good speller and they wound up giving me a award for that. And that's just how I am. I can remember one time being in elementary trying to help two friends settle an issue they had. And I can remember having one on one corner and the other on the other corner and I would walk back and forth across the street until we made it right and they became friends again and that's how I always been I always had a kind heart and I used to be mad about that like when I was younger I used to be like you know why I can't just be like f this f that like everybody else why I can't just be cold-hearted like everybody else why I can't just say no and be mean when something bad happened to me it's just never been in my heart and I used to hate it Cause I used to just feel like I was too soft and you know, what I realized growing up is no, you just got a good heart. The congestive heart failure forced me to get into this field. What I'm doing It's the catalyst of what drove me to this lane, because if it wasn't for me not being able to be physical at work anymore, I would probably still be doing that. Just throw your body at something, pick up heavy stuff, do heavy work and you'll make your money. So I do believe that the congestive heart failure played a part in ultimately guiding me to what's probably been my calling the whole time anyway. Those are such great stories. So then what is your message for dads? How this feeling that you had of being too soft, yet we know it's so important for our dads. What is it that you convey to help move men into this different mindset? We should all want a good a decent community, a good world. I want to see good stuff happen. And I want to see people make money. I want to see people experience love. So I just think that we got to realize what's good, what's positive. In my community, on the Black community, we listen to rap with violent lyrics and disparaging comments towards women and stuff like that. But why not make it cool for us to listen to conscious rap? Like, why isn't that cool? Why not spread good messages why not just why not why not do those things because they're helpful and so that's what i would say to other dads is be with your kids if you're gonna have kids be with the woman that you had kids with let's try to get these communities back up and running and it's my opinion that you can't have a healthy community full of broken families that will never work 
So I would like to see more families, two-parent households, more men on these streets that hold kids accountable. They might say, I don't want to do anything on this particular street because Mr. Jones helped my mom out with the groceries every time we come to the house. Mr. Williams always gives us good advice. We don't want to disrespect his street or this street by doing these things. I just think that positive influence is a good thing. And, and a few months ago, we had a tragic incident where two high school kids got killed at a graduation party. And I went on the news because I've gotten close with the previous police commissioner. And I said on the news that I was sad and that I felt like I'm part to blame for this because I feel like, how come my ear is not close enough to the streets to where I knew that there was a graduation party going on? How come I didn't know that there was going to be gang members at this party? How come I didn't know so then I could just swing by and just be the corny old bald head dude that's coming to say positive stuff and break up fights and just get in the middle of everything? I just wish that I would have known and I wish that other men in that area would have known that was going on. We could stop in there and check in and see what's going on and make sure everything's okay. I just, I felt like I should have known. And that's what we need more dads to do is to be nosy, to be in the business, to get in the middle of stuff, to just be the annoying guy that get on the kids' nerves, be there. That's what I would say. That's heartbreaking yet so powerful too, because the time and the presence and all the relationships you're building, they can lead to other things. It has ripples, right? When you can be in the center of a community in a positive way, you can prevent things. And that's definitely where I come from. Public health is what can we do to prevent things happening? So what else can you say to help moms in this situation, either be supportive of dads taking this role or moms encouraging dads? I think what moms could do is champion this happening. Talk about it, respect it, promote it, because it's very important. I feel like the presence and the perspective and everything that a man brings to the table is just discredited. There's a lot of dads who don't get the same respect as the mother. I think that dads deserve it as well. Patience is very important. Being a dad, you got to have patience. Being a husband, you got to have patience. And these are things that you have to know how to do. Not perfect, but I try to do the best I can. So I should be good at these things. But no, you got to actually know how to do them. You could be a nice guy, but you could be a bad husband. You could be a nice guy, but not such a great dad. And I never knew that until I actually had to start doing it. And I'm learning as I go. The only type of reference that I have for this is the Cosby show, but I never seen it up close and personal. So that's why it was important for me to be in the home, to be there the best I can. So they're not having to learn everything on the fly as they go. And that's important. But I think that's really important. Like you say is dads don't necessarily have the skills. Like we haven't been brought up with it. And I think too, that's one of the things for all parents is we're suddenly in this parenting world today that our parents didn't go through and nobody's really prepared us for it. There's a doctor, his name is Dr. Jerwanza Kondrufu. And he said something that I thought was very important that most mothers raise their daughters and love their sons. And so if you have a son and a daughter and it's a single mother household, the mom is going to make sure that the daughter knows how to wash dishes and things like that. 
But the son, you know, it's not really that big of a deal if he learns how to do these things or not. They don't really make us. And I know for me, like my grandmother didn't really make me and I had no interest in learning certain things. And a lot of times moms, our matriarchs just protect us. They might protect us to a fault. And I think that we didn't always get the things that we needed. And if there was no man there, who do we mirror? We looking in the mirror for something to mirror after. And all we see is ourselves. All we see is our friends or we don't see anything. You got to know how to do these things. And it's important for dads to have that reference. Yeah. And I'm always trying to think about that, that messaging. I have a son and a daughter and to think what messaging am I giving my daughter that I'm not giving my son and vice versa. So I'm always trying to do those little checks to make sure that it's more equal between them. I think that there's so much about parenting that's changed and that we don't learn it as we go. What are some of your ideas for how to help the next generation of dads coming through? What is your foundation doing? What are other ways that you think we can help the next generation? I think we help the next generation by showing them presence, that you can be there, that you can be consistent. There was a lot of things when I was growing up that I thought just weren't cool. There's a lot of customs that we follow and you don't know where the customs came from. Who was the one that said that you can only wear Nikes? You know, that you can only wear Timberland boots, that you have that you can't wear Nike shoes with an Adidas shirt. Who was the one that set these customs? And why do we just follow them, especially like in the black community? And I'm sure in any community, you come outside and there's things that are just set. Hey, you can't wear that. You can't wear your hair like that or you can't do this. But who says, oh, that's how it is. I don't know who said that we couldn't do certain things, but we just followed it. And I feel like for me, with my sons, there won't be any of that for me or my sons because I'm going to make sure they know, well, how you following something? You don't even know who said it. You don't even know who said it. So why are you following it? Set your own stuff. Set your own rules. If you like it, do it. Wear it. Support it. Who's going to tell you that you can't? And if they do, tell them that's what you do so they can do what they do. I want people to realize that you don't have to do something that's cool. You are cool. Make it cool. There's so many things that contribute to violence. It's a lot of things that we think are supposed to happen or things that we think we need and that we don't. It used to be cool to say that you just robbed somebody. Why are you plotting on another person and their possessions? Go get your own possessions. Get a job, save up, get your own things. I don't need to come to your house and break into your house and steal the money that you and your husband and your family got. Go get my own money. And I think that's something especially important that people need to learn. Don't be jealous of people. Just do what you need to do to get to where you want to be. And one thing that the Hug a Dad Foundation is doing, and the reason why I started it was just because I was having an incredibly difficult time getting respect and rights to my son in the family court system. And then I would see a lot of other dads who weren't getting the respect. And I used to think my situation was the worst until I seen there's people with way worse situations. So for me, I felt like, if I'm barely dealing with this, I wonder how other men are feeling. I wonder if there's other men who are barely dealing with, who are barely making, barely getting by. And what they do in a family court system, especially in Kansas, is it's like you're set up to fail. Like one thing I always say about my son and my ex is that he is going to go through things that I went through. The life that he lives is going to more likely mirror my life than it is his mother's. So it's like, 
growing up with my grandmother and my mom, if I'm at work and I'm having an issue, I could go to them and they might say, oh, this is how I would do it. This is what I would say. This is what I would do. And that's how a woman would handle it. That don't mean that's how I can handle it. So a lot of times men have to handle things differently than women do. So can I expect to get by off of advice that my mom gave me as a man? If my mom is a small, petite woman and she know that she can raise hell in front of the cops and do this and do that and move her arms, is it going to be the same for me who where I could be 6'3", 320? Am I going to get the same? Are they going to look at me the same as they looked at my 5'6", 120-pound mom? Probably not. They're going to look at me differently. So I need to adjust my doings and my life based off of how people will see me. And so that's the same thing for my son. And I feel like it's crazy because I go in there and I go to family court and they try to keep my son away from me. But I just think it's crazy that in 20 years, my son could be the one in the same courtroom and the same woman could still be a lawyer or she might be a judge at that point. And she might be doing to him the same thing that she done to me. But just 20 years ago, you were protecting him. And now... He's your enemy, just like I was 20 years prior. It's the same cycle. Just if you are in the mother's corner, if you're part of the mother's family, you can see the kid. If you go as a dad family court, they're going to say it's too much. We don't want to put the kid with you too much. It's too much time. But nobody ever came to my house and said that about my other two kids. If your wife is working too many 16-hour shifts and you're at home with these kids too often. Nobody ever said that to me. And I go into the same store every day with my kids. Nobody say, you got your kids too much. I think that it's not good for their health that you have them so often. Nobody ever says that to me. So why is it that you could say that with my oldest son, but you're not going to say that with my two youngest? What's different? Just the fact that he don't live with me, but he still need me the same way they do. And they need him too, because he's big brother and they follow after everything he do. So they need him as well. So it's just like, I feel like what, Sometimes moms do is they like, as long as you're up under me, you're safe. As long as you're with me, you're safe. As long as you're with me, you're going to get the best of everything and life's going to be glorious. And it's not. But just imagine if every day, a hundred dads went to the same courthouse to file motions, a hundred dads fired their lawyer because I don't like lawyers. And I feel like they just beat around the bush with your life for their money. And I also feel like they progress off of our dysfunction. My son's mom, the lawyer that she hires, they live in a nice home. They got money in their pocket. Her kids got a college fund. Some of that money is mine. Some of that money is straight from my pocket that could be going to my children. But instead, it's going to hers. So you tell me you're in the best interest of the child. It sounds like to me, your best interest is separating us. Where I work in the foster care system, I work in a reintegration department. Our job is to reintegrate kids back into the home. We go above and beyond to put kids in the home. Parents have months and months to work court orders, to get clean urine tests, to have good visits with their kids, to show the courts that they can do these things. They take budget and nutrition classes. They basically essentially have to jump through hoops to show that What you saw from me before is not what you'll see from me again. It's just weird that I'm doing this. And then when I go to court, I don't have any of these issues myself. It just doesn't make any sense. And so when you go through these things and you spend money and you have heartache and stuff, 
those things start to build up and you could build up anger, frustration. And so then when you see these people, like when I see my son's uncle who, you know, gets more respect than I do because he's on the mom's side. So he can drop in any day that she has him and say, I want to take Kai to the park real quick. I can't do that. They basically try to raise him without me. We need more dads to step up and apply pressure to show that if y'all are not willing to allow us to parent the way we should, then we're just going to fight for it. We're going to keep filing motions. We're going to keep showing up. We're going to keep attending these events. We're going to keep marching. We're going to keep speaking. We're going to keep protesting. We're just going to keep doing it until y'all let up. And that's what I feel like dads need to do. I feel like we need to fire our attorneys and we need to go to court for ourselves because we're funding this system right now. They're using our money to keep us away from our children. And that just doesn't make any sense to me. And so we just got to realize that we got to see that. And it's going to take me to start to have more confidence in myself and my speaking abilities to really drive that message home. Now, those are such good comparisons. In one place, you have agency and you're helping dads. And in the other place, you're seen as not capable. It totally doesn't make sense. Thank you for sharing that. Not just dads, but I'm helping moms too. I mean, moms who are having significant issues, moms who are having issues with drugs or parenting, period. When I go to court, they make it seem like motherhood is all-time nurturing. But I feel like I'm nurturing as well. I might not be nurturing the same way as a mom, but I'm still nurturing. I give my kids hugs and kisses. I cuddle with my kids when they go to sleep. I read books. I give baths. I drop off at school. I go to the bus stop. I do all the same stuff. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Thanks so much for sharing that. And thanks for your message to other dads and to people that are part of that system, right? Systems to me are not just things. They're the decisions that people make every day. And like you say, those people in that system are making decisions that impact your life and it doesn't make sense. We got politicians. We got people who say they want to lower crime and stuff like that. We got people who are lovers of statistics. They love numbers, but they won't look at the numbers of fatherhood. They won't look at how important the numbers say that fathers are in the lives of these kids. They won't even listen to themselves, kids who are in high school who drop out. Last time I looked at it, it was over 70% of those kids drop out of school. I don't think any kid is about to drop out of school who has a dad who works in the building or a dad who they know has a direct line to the teacher, a dad who they know comes to report card conferences. It's just not going to happen. So I just think that people who supposed to legislate, it's time for them to stop legislating for their pockets and start legislating for the families. And I talk to politicians all the time, but I think uh, that somebody's like crinkling dollars in the ear and they can't hear me very well. I love that analogy. Derek, you're an amazing man and you're on an amazing mission. And I'm just so honored to have shared any time with you your time is so valuable it's going to good things so to share that piece of your day with me both of us on a Sunday I really am so grateful and if you have any last message to give to listeners please go ahead my message to the men in our community any man is to never give up you got something positive in your heart and your mind 
you got kids, you're fighting for your kids, never give up. I got my days when I want to give up. Having to co-parent with someone and you're in another relationship with a whole other family, that other person has so much power because they can ruin things and make things difficult. It's just, it's so difficult, but you have to do it. I like to say like how some men, some of us, we chase a particular woman for, you know, however many days, weeks, months, years till we get them. We work our fingers to the bone so we can make money just to buy clothes to impress women. We work our fingers to the bone to get money to buy cars. Men stretch ourselves thin for a lot of things, a lot of material things. And I think it's time that we give that same energy to stretching ourselves for our families, our communities, our kids. Never give up. If you got to go to family court, you got to drive across country, whatever it is you got to do find a way to do it because it's going to be important to that kid, that person, whoever it is, never give up. Just keep doing it. And for the young boys, I would say, just find the things that you think are cool. Find the things that are important to you that make you feel like somebody and be with the people that make you feel like somebody. And don't always think you got to keep up, keep up with yourself. I don't try to keep up with who has the nicest clothes or anything like that. And I think that our women need to understand that men have feelings. We might try not to show it all the time, but we have them. And I would just like to see where people can co-parent together. People can put aside their differences and just try to really do things for the good of our children, our communities, our families. And that's my goal. Thanks so much for listening today. Don't forget to check out my website, www.drjacquelinecurr.com, for your free guides to prevent burnout. Would you like to join a cohort of women like yourself who want to disrupt the status quo but are facing constant barriers and, like you, are beginning to wonder whether your approach will even gain traction? Have you experienced the supportive environment of executive group coaching, knowing you're not alone, and learning from others' mistakes and strategies? but you want to have more concrete goals and measures of progress. In conjunction with my leadership training, I'm facilitating small groups of women executives in peer learning collaboratives. This is a scientific process that it's used in medicine when important new recommendations need to be put into practice and there's likely to be pushback. Peer learning collaboratives leverage the supportive environment of group coaching, but with more targeted goals, greater accountability, and a quality improvement process that measures impact through learning cycles. In my training, you'll learn five new evidence-based strategies to support your leadership confidence and credibility, including how to use macro and micro root cause problem solving, how to create culture change through daily behavior change, and how to manage change and burnout. The peer learning collaboratives will provide a safe environment for you to put your new skills and strategies into action while learning from other women leading similar change efforts in their organizations. As you face barriers, we will problem solve together, empowering you to use adaptive experimental processes to help you build more resilient and informed solutions. A peer learning collaborative has three phases. 
In the co-design phase, members are brought together from diverse areas to establish buy-in and shared ownership. Building trust is important in this phase through shared values and expectations, shared vision and goals, open communication channels, and conflict resolution processes. In the collaborative learning phase, the group process is further solidified through peer empowerment, accountability partners, and celebrating small wins. The experimental process then starts with needs assessments, behavior targets, logic modeling, and plan, do, study, act cycles. In the adaptation and scale phase, lessons from the learning phase are translated into best practice guidelines and operational toolkits. Case studies are shared and champions are empowered to promote the findings and benefits to other units. How often do you find that you're trying to prevent the fires that men love to put out? You're spoiling their quick fixes and save the day hero-based approaches. Instead, you can see the forest and the trees. You want to disrupt the status quo with more collaborative, adaptable, long-term approaches that change how and why we work, bringing in flexibility and greater purpose. Yet your ideas are dismissed and the systems remain stuck, perpetuating bias and burnout. My training will give you the confidence and credibility to lead through change, manage change, and leverage change for transformational change. It will show you that your intuitive gendered intelligence is supported by tried and tested scientific frameworks, and it will provide you with more processes and tools to leverage that knowledge for greater impact and social good, based in public health science, behavior change science, and implementation science. Never before have we been through a global pandemic, racial reckoning, mental health epidemic, or great resignation. With a recession looming, post-pandemic stress levels are likely to remain high and resources low. Reports from Deloitte, Microsoft, Adeco, and Modern Health show that employees are dissatisfied with the current fix-the-person solutions and want to see transformational change in the organization itself. The need to lead with impact and provide return on investment is greater than ever, in more uncertain, challenging, and complex times than ever. During these times of monumental change, there have been few guiding frameworks for leaders. There are not yet evidence-based solutions to these new emerging and urgent problems. So it's even more essential to use evidence-based processes to manage change. My behavior science tools will enable you to embrace complexity, lead through change, and manage the overwhelm. I want to help women leaders with a new playbook for compassionate and competent leadership in times of change and complexity, with evidence-based frameworks and strategies for moving beyond the status quo and leading the workforce of the future. When you join a peer learning collaborative, you'll gain confidence, camaraderie, and compassion for the challenges you face. We will use scientific tools and processes to guide our progress, use behavior change strategies to keep us on track, and key indicators of change to evaluate our impact. Over a 12-week period, you'll set goals for the changes you want to see in your organization. You'll operationalize them as behaviors. You'll prepare your organization for change by creating a safe learning and growth culture. 
You'll roll out and measure what is working and why, and develop ways to overcome barriers to change. You'll share your progress and challenges with the other executive women in your cohort so they can benefit from your experience, so they can provide support and ideas for solutions, and so that together you can exponentially grow your learning, leveraging each other's adaptations and innovations to similar problems. The training and cohorts will be available in 2023. In the meantime, I've created a free masterclass to introduce you to the five key strategies because change can be scary and you still might be uncertain about what it takes. My five evidence-based leadership strategies are leading through complexity with compassion, understanding root causes and solving macro and micro problems using the social ecological model and lessons from public health. Leading with impact, identifying and operationalizing key change levers using behavior change science and strategies to create sustainable habits that change systems. Leading with insight, creating the conditions for a culture of change using psychological safety, emotional intelligence, rewarding daily behaviors, and empowering role models. Leading with curiosity, finding and testing new solutions for employee wellness, retention, and belonging using peer learning collaboratives as a supportive and science-based process for managing change and developing resilience. Leading with clarity, understanding and managing multifaceted burnout so you and those you lead can thrive through change using multi-level burnout solutions. If you're ready to start on a new leadership journey, I look forward to guiding you through this in my online course and supporting you in a peer learning collaborative. Please direct message me to get access to the free masterclass or sign up for the 2023 start. And please remember, burnout can be related to serious health problems. If you're experiencing physical or mental health symptoms, please contact a health provider or call the appropriate helpline. This podcast does not replace medical advice. Take care. Feel the pain.